Hey there. Because you're listening to this podcast, we at Blue Wire want you to know this. One, we freaking love you. And two, we want to learn more about you. Help us make more content you'll love by filling out a survey you can find in the description of this podcast. You'll help us out a ton, and you'll have a chance to win a Blue Wire t-shirt, hoodie, or a pair of AirPods. We appreciate you, hope you're staying safe, and want you to enjoy this podcast. Welcome into the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz podcast. This is the June 26th episode, and we, as always, are dedicated to answering all of those fantasy football questions. I am your host, Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at Randall Rant. Folks, we had St. Thomas Aquinas, Aristotle, Confucius, and now today we have Lord Reeves on the mailbag. Rich Rebar of Sharp Football Analysis returns to the mailbag to give us that insight for the upcoming 2020 season. Mr. Konami Code himself, he's one of my premier go-to follows on Twitter, at Lord Reeves. That weekly worksheet that he does is one of the must-reads if you're trying to win your matchups and make the fantasy playoffs. Just an incredible fantasy mind, tremendous person. Rich, welcome back, my man. Thanks so much for joining us. That's some kind of intro. I mean, I definitely don't belong in, in that kind of company. Definitely nothing fantasy football related probably does either. But uh, yeah, I'll take that all day. I mean, I'm going to have to give you to uh, print that out for me and I'll, I'll hang it up over here at the house. It's like the Hall of Fame arguments. Everything's in an era. In your era, Rich, in your area, you are Aristotle. That's how this works. You know what I mean? It's all about comparing in your era. Uh, I mean, I'll take it, but yeah, definitely. I definitely don't feel that way. I mean, this is a it's a good space. That's there's a lot of people, you know, in this in this field right now, and even more people that are under under recognized that are going to advance a lot further than I can. But like I said, I'll take it. I appreciate the kind words. Well, we appreciate a few minutes, man, and and you joined forces with Warren Sharp over at Sharp Football Analysis. His expertise in betting and sports wagering combined with your fantasy knowledge—that's a deadly combination. How's it going over there? And Rich, of course, I've already put my order in for the. 2020 Warren Sharp football preview. It's going good so far. I mean, it's been a unique experience, you know, I'm in in this field. I've gotten to bounce around and work with a lot of different people. And, you know, I'm grateful that this industry keeps affording me opportunities to grow and reach new audiences. And what's cool about this, you know, partnership I've had with Warren is the majority of Warren's followers are basically, you know, real football over fantasy minded first. So having a little access to that crowd and showing them that, you know, kind of fantasy isn't the devil to real football watching. And, you know, that's been kind of cool. And then, you know, of course, you still have a chasm of disconnect between someone like Josh Allen and those two worlds. But, you know, there's a lot of room, a lot of room on the table still uh here for us all to get along and you know kind of realize that like you know fantasy football does have a lot of real football overlap and we're tying a lot of the things that happen in real football together to come to our you know through our analysis and come to our conclusions through a fantasy sense too uh but you know yeah promote to everyone i mean you guys, you're definitely gonna be happy with that book though i mean i've obviously seen it it's it's a beast uh it has just about every morsel of information you want per team no matter what your favorite team is or you just like football in general uh you know and I just working with Warren too is like just seeing his side of it, how much work he puts into things. I mean, he's a grinder. There's a reason why he's gotten the following he does, and he's gotten the opportunity to work from NFL teams uh, and got to the access that he has at the NFL level. So, yeah, definitely you're going to enjoy that book if you grabbed it. 
I'm still waiting to have an all-fantasy run NFL team to see you and Warren, Warren the GM. You're like the head coach with Evan Silva. It's a dream. That's when I think we have perfectly married the two. I'm waiting for that to happen. I mean, I definitely don't have the the kind of real football acumen uh, to get us to get us there, but maybe I I can uh, you know help out just at least with guiding people in the right directions. Well, let's dive into it, man. What should we do if we have a late first round pick in redraft leagues? Now the RBs have dominated early. I've been doing best ball leagues left and right constantly, and, and there's definitely a feeling when I get an early pick of an exhale, like thank goodness, mm-hmm. but the key question is going to be this year when you get one of those late first round picks. We know it's going to be CMC, Barkley, Zeke, Kamara, some sort of order there. What do you do with like the 10th pick? Is zero RB really dead? Are we bringing it back late in the first round? Sean Siegel, I talked to a couple weeks ago here in the mailbag, is, is of course a devout follower and he's still doing it. He did it in the MFL 10 of death. Talk about what your thoughts are for people strategy-wise if they get that late first-round pick. Yeah, that's kind of the the spot where you it starts to creep into your mind some of that doubt. I mean, I did a a twenty-minute, you know, twenty twenty-five minute podcast on two weeks ago on our feed, which is uh, the pre-snap motion podcast. My buddy Dan Pazuda sneaking a free plug in, uh, where I discuss kind of the state of the wide receiver position in fantasy as a whole, how people are treating it earlier in the summer. I'd encourage you know check that out for some further detail. I just can't do here i'm not gonna eat 20 minutes on this uh here but no strategy is ever dead and you know no approach uh is ever out the window you know just apply proper context and deployment that's kind of the area of the draft where it starts to creep in uh zero rb has never been kind of my preferred strategy overall as a player but i take a lot of the principles from it and do apply them you know to the way i play i mean for the very past few years anchor running back or modified zero rb as you'll hear it called has kind of been my go-to like draft draft attack you know kind of taking advantage of the predictability of the rb1 group versus the wide receiver one group and cost and then vice versa flipping that outside and taking advantage of the wide receiver two wide receiver three secondary groups over the secondary running back two running back three groups uh so i'm still drafting wide receiver heavy overall in my drafts uh but i'm really what i'm really taking from a zero rb approach or kind of uh where i think people mistake zero rb or wide receiver heavy drafting is like the allocation to the running back position itself a lot of people think it means actually zero rb and you know that's at least not my interpretation of it sean may have beef with my interpretation of it uh you know i'm not trying to to step on his toes there but not a strategy solely about ignoring the running back position it's you know and hoping to solely run into running back lottery tickets you know the underlying strategy is of zero rb is it's allocating the majority of your tangible draft capital into the position that requires the most resources uh in on your roster one and that's one then when you're enhancing that kind of that roster allocation by busts and injuries uh and you're talking about just wide receivers in general are higher scoring players with those spots as you get outside of that right running back one range uh so that in turn i'm creating a roster strength uh, by drafting backups, even even when I'm getting to the backup range, who are already higher scores at a position than than we've already invested in, you're not only increasing your potential of consistently maximizing your own lineup for 16 weeks, but you're also decreasing your opponent's resources in the same area. Uh, and that last point kind of ties into where we can kind of try to bring this home: is just don't be so damn scared to leave your draft with a known roster deficiency. We're in the heart of the off season now, where people are solely looking at the bulk product and grading drafts. Let me tell you something you'll be lucky if you get to december with 60 percent of the players you drafted in august uh so by building clear team strengths you're actually maximizing your long-term roster 
potential over these teams that, you know, go in air quotes, balanced drafting. If you go balanced drafting or roster filling, that leaves the ice you're skating on a lot thinner. You know, ensuring a roster strength and leaving a known void is not always an end game negative, you know, even though people treat it as that. So the next time you post a team and someone says, well, what are you going to do at wide receiver three? Or what are you going to do at tight end? Or what are you going to do at running back two? I mean, tell them to kick rocks and tell them to ask how the team with the draft, you know, the, the A draft grade is in season when they're gutted by bust injuries and missed player evaluations, something that even the best of us are all going to have. I'm going to have players get hurt. I'm going to miss player evals and just some players are going to flat out stink, uh, you know, that, that I thought were going to be good. That's just the way the game goes. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, a, you know, the brass tacks of kind of how I've been drafting all year. I'm, I'm kind of still locked in on the anchor running back modified zero RB approach. Uh, and then if you go back and check out that podcast, uh, you'll hear me kind of rant on how the secondary running back two group has been elevated in ADP uh, for unbeknownst reasons of uh, outside of people just saying I have to get running back points. Uh, but that's going to be a fallacy probably in the end game. Yeah, I listened to that pod with Dan. Tremendous job by you guys. And that's great insight, Rich. What Sean said, which is, is sort of what you're saying as well, is people mess up their draft strategy because they overreact to panic. So if you have a strategy going in and you get a late first round pick, just because a couple running backs go off the board, don't change your strategy and just grab any running back that you aren't necessarily high on because you feel you have to. And that's what you're saying is we're not going to know what goes on here in the second half of the year. There's going to be waivers. There are going to be players that you're going to pick up. If you have a strategy, stick to it because the worst thing you can do is come in with an idea of what you want to do at a draft position and then change it mid-draft because people are reacting that way. And in the end, you end up with a team that you really didn't want to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, I, so many people try to win the draft and it's, easy it's we we take this part of the off season and i talk about this every year kind of go on a little bit of rant on this but you know from february to the end of august everything's so draft inundated and the, the emphasis winning your draft but that, i mean it's just such a fallacy i mean yeah you want to knock your draft out of the park absolutely but you know a lot of these picks like when you get in round five plus like there's just a lot of fortune involved in, in those picks that hit as well so i mean definitely you know stick to the plan that you want to commit to don't worry about having a draft that even leaves you a little uncomfortable yourself uh, when you're going into the season because, you know, if you've got a clear roster strength and know where your team needs are, that's going to give you an advantage in the long run and how you can make, tra- you know, transactionally f- function throughout the season. Uh, so, I mean, definitely always try to focus on at least getting a strength, but don't worry so much about weaknesses because at least if you know where they are, you can adjust from there. It's time for the FFPC stat attack. FFPC is home to the best fantasy football leagues and contests in the industry. I've been doing a ton of them recently, including Dynasty Best Ball and, of course, the world-famous FFPC main event. To learn more or to join the league, please go to myffpc.com. That's myffpc.com. And, of course, we got a handful of tools at Rotoviz, which are fantastic, that are specifically designed for that FFPC domination. FFPC Best Ball Command Center, I have always open when I'm making my picks there in the Best Ball Leagues. Rich, you put a great pair of tweets out recently that looked at the fantasy floor for RBs and wide receivers in games that they did not score a touchdown over the past three years, which I think is a great, very smart way to look at it. Let's look at the wide receivers for the stat attack here. 
you know who popped off that beautifully color-coded chart that you put on Twitter? Robert Woods of the Rams. Over the past three seasons, in games he did not score a touchdown, Robert Woods, you showed, averaged 12.9 PPR fantasy points per game. That is more than OBJ, Thielen, or even his teammate Cooper Cup. No Brandon Cooks this year. The clock could strike 12 on Tyler Higby. He had that nice little run at the end of the year, but we don't know if he's going to continue it. Josh Reynolds may not be ready for prime time. Talk to me about Robert Woods' projection there for the 2020 season. I used to do a, uh, a fantasy bit about Bob Forrest and how, uh, you know, old Robert Woods was like your dad's favorite player, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, now he's turned into everybody's, now he's turned into the fanniest, fantasy analyst's favorite player, every fantasy analyst's favorite player. Uh, what's, what's cool about the Bob is that we know what we're getting from him. I mean, listen, seven years in a row, he's seven years in a row, he's beaten his positional ADP uh, by final wow. end of the season PPR wide receiver ranking. Seven years in a row. The next closest streak is two. Uh, um, so wow. we, we know what we're getting from him. Uh, we know he's not going to score touchdowns. And that's kind of what we you hits in your lead. And now like the, the, the downside is that is that, you know, he doesn't have those high ceiling spike weeks. His career high is just six touchdowns in a season. And there's a reason why he's played 100 games uh, and he's only had 15 wide receiver one scoring weeks, top 12 scoring weeks. Um, just give him a lot of spike weeks. But what he does provide is projectable opportunity which is what kind of makes him a value. The Rams as a whole are a pretty interesting team. They made a a major shift in personnel usage during the 2019 season that was drastically different than how that team had operated under Sean McVay in the past after kind of being a predominantly team that was all all 11 personnel based with three wide receivers on the field, one running back, one tight end. Uh, The Rams, you know, were forced last year to kind of make a transition a year ago over the back half of the season. They started using more 12 personnel, which is one running back, two tight ends. Um, Starting in week 11, the Rams with the 12 personnel on 76% of their offensive snaps. And up until that point in the season, the Rams were, like I said, just all 11 personnel. They had only run 58 total plays and 12 personnel through 10 weeks. Over that same span, they had run 11 personnel on 80% of their snaps, which was second highest in the league. And then for the remainder of the season, the Rams used 11 personnel on 58% of their offensive plays, which was 16th in the league, while upping their 12 personnel usage to 40th, uh, to 40% of their plays, which was fourth in the league. Uh, beg, beg your pardon. Uh, so this had a ripple effect for fantasy like that changeover uh through those opening 10 weeks of the season cooper cup was the wide receiver six in ppr fantasy scoring he averaged 13.7 yards per catch 2.4 yards per route run and he ran 72 percent of his routes from the slot and on those tar- uh, on those routes he was running he was targeted on 26 percent of those routes and then when you got the transition to more 12 personnel a guy like cooper cup who is predominantly an inside player he was forced to play and win more on the outside and over those final seven weeks of the season cup you know only had 36 catches for 360 yards he only averaged 10.3 yards per catch 1.6 yards per route run and he was targeted on just 19 percent of his routes run after he was forced to run just 60 percent of his routes in the slot that turned robert woods into a big benefactor and obviously tyler higby too we could touch on in a minute but over that last stretch woods was the wide receiver six in scoring a ppr complete flip and completely out targeted uh you know, Cooper Cup, who was, you know, forced to say win more outside, whereas Robert Woods had a little more acumen playing, you know, a little bit in versatility and winning outside. So if the Rams are going to do something similar that we, we saw towards the end of the season, I mean, that obviously benefits a guy like Woods. Now, the ability to run their desired personnel is not concrete, and the Rams traded away Brandon Cooks this offseason, kind of freeing up even more passing volume to spread around. Uh, we could see, you know, that Tyler Higby's, you know, full time role be extended, that end of the season run, as well as. You know, a guy like Josh Reynolds, but should we be wrong on the Rams and they revert back to playing, you know, a plethora of three wide receiver sets? You know, Cup's going to be in a position to thrive once again.
again. I also don't believe that you uh, are wrong taking shots at Josh Reynolds. Josh Reynolds goes in like the wide receiver 70s. And right now yep. we have uh, on the site at Sharp Football Stats, we have the Rams forecasted for eight and a half wins. Seven of their opening 11 games are facing teams with a higher forecasted win total this season. Uh, so we could see that desired personnel usage of 12 that they ro- want to roll over from last year being impacted by game script to open the season. We know Van Jefferson plays Cooper Cup's position. He's not a threat to really Josh Reynolds. Uh, he's also another wide receiver that had a Jones fracture surgery uh, this offseason. Um, but if we're wrong about the Rams personnel in bulk, I mean, Josh Reynolds is going to play a lot. And just two years ago, Josh Reynolds led the team in, in end zone targets with 12. Uh, but yeah, I mean, circling back to Robert Woods, because I know this is a, is a question to, about Bob Woods and his value. And every, like I said, every fantasy analyst likes him because he's his, his role is predictable. His opportunity is predictable no matter what the Rams do, whether they're stuck in 12 and they're able to keep that going or they have to revert back to 11. His usage is predictable, and that's what makes him the strongest bet of the Rams wide receivers. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I love getting Robert Woods in the fifth round, often as my wide receiver three. I think that Josh Reynolds is being completely overlooked, especially in best ball formats where he's going right now in the wide receiver 70s. Uh, because, like I said, if we're wrong on the Rams and we have the wrong read, Josh Reynolds is going to play a ton of snaps. Jared Goff, over the last three years, his attempts in order, 477, 561, league-leading 626. I feel like the shine has come off the Rams because, of course, last year they were just 9-7. and seven. But, folks, in fantasy, we don't necessarily need a 12-4 and four season. The Rams are going to throw. McVay's going to put a lot of fantasy points up there. And there's opportunities here. Right. And I think, Richard, could just be because his name is Rob Woods. Maybe it's not an exciting name. You know, if he had more of an exciting name, I don't know. I used to love that bit. I hate that I had to walk back on it because you know, uh, you know, when he was, you know, Bob Woods, I used to say like, yeah, Bob Woods is your dad's favorite player because your team would have like a third and six and they wouldn't get it, and your dad would just look over to you watching, and he'd be like, should have thrown it to Bob Woods there, he would have got it. Like, <laughs> right? Maybe it's the name. I mean, Cooper Cup, sort of a you know blase name, Josh Reynolds. I mean, maybe it's just the people just don't like the names of the Rams wide receivers. But 620 attempts, I'll take him. Whether his name's you know Joe Smith or whatever it is. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And listen, fantasy points, we don't, we don't get attached to the names. Exactly. Well, we do get attached to eating on July 4th, and that's right around the corner. So, Rich, hamburger, chicken burger, hot dog, what do you have? And on the hot dog, mustard, ketchup, or both? Talk to me. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm someone that doesn't discriminate uh, off the grill. I mean, definitely throw some brats on there, some ribs for me, some chicken kebabs, all of it. I mean, if you're making me say, like, hot dogs are probably my least favorite, just like a regular base hot dog. Uh, but, you know, I'll take a little bit of everything. And then if we're going uh, condiments-wise, uh, giving word there i am and we've got to have that burtman's original ballpark mustard oh. on deck always uh you know the, the spicy brown good good uh that's 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 kind of a, a staple here where i'm from oh especially with baseball no one can go in the stands anymore so i feel like we should buy the condiments and just pretend we're at the ball game in our house that, that's boy the specific type there that that goes above and beyond well done <laughs> There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all the UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. If you're looking for something else other than sports, BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Please visit betonline.ag and use the promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online wagering experts. 
I'm Dave Cabin, host of the RotoViz Fantasy Football Podcast. I wanted to take a moment to thank you for supporting RotoViz Radio. We love producing these shows and we hope that you love listening to them. As a thank you, loyal podcast listeners can get 10% off of a one year RotoViz subscription by using the promo code 2020RVRadio at checkout. We have some of the very best tools, articles, and analysts in the business and can't wait to lead you on the path to greatness. If you haven't done so yet, do us a favor and take a minute to rate and review this podcast. Thanks again for listening. Now let's get into the show. I finally pulled the trigger, Rich, on an early round tight end in FFPC best ball. I hate doing it. I did take George Kittle at the 204 after taking Miles Sanders in round one. I want to do some late round tight end lotto with you. I'm going to name a late round tight end and you handicap their chances of finishing as a high end tight end one. Now, I don't just want tight end one because, of course, the way that goes, you could have seven to eight fantasy points per game and be, you know, the tight end 12. But I'm curious if these guys that I'm going to name here, I'll give you four each. Can they reach that high-end top six, top five tight end this season? Is that in their range of outcomes? Let's start with the Titans' Jonu Smith. All right, Jonu, I'm going to put him at uh, 30 to 50% odds here to be like an actual, like we're saying, like a set, almost a set and forget. Yes. Player is what we're looking yeah, for, yeah. right? So, I mean, Jonu's entering his fourth season. Now, we've seen glimpses of potential from Jonu. He's, um, he's a freak athlete, and he's been he's been hyper-efficient and was last year. He was second among all tight ends last season in yards per target. He was second in yards created after the catch per reception. He was eighth in yards per outrun. Um, but we've had now two years in a row now where it's really been Johnny Smith without Delaney Walker. I mean, Delaney Walker's only played eight games the past two seasons, and what has really been a thorn for Johnny Smith is we've just yet to see the major volume come into Smith's direction. I mean, last year, he had 29 catches or 342 yards and three touchdowns on just 36 targets over the final 10 games of 2019 with Delaney Walker gone. Those 36 targets were 24th at the position over that span. Despite that, I mean, I, I laid out his efficiency and his playmaking ability. He was able to get the 13th in overall fantasy output uh, over that same stretch of weeks but uh, we really need that volume spike you know to kind of match his efficiency per opportunity but uh, yeah I'm gonna give him 30 to 50 percent odds you know of getting there let's head to Green Bay so of course Packers do not draft a wide receiver for Aaron Rodgers we're living in the sub-athletic Alan Lazard area here as the wide receiver too. A bunch of wide receivers that haven't really worked out, although I love Marcus Valdez-Scantling as a last-round best ball pick just because of the speed. However, Packers tight end Jay Sternberger. We know Rodgers' history with tight ends. Jermichael Finley, it seems like that was 50 years ago. But can Jay Sternberger be relevant this year? Can he step up in what is really sort of an ambiguous, shallow wide receiver depth chart as a reliable pass catcher for Aaron Rodgers? I'm going to give Sternberger probably uh, the lowest odds of these group of guys here. I'm going to give him 5 to 10% odds of getting into that group. I mean, he logged just 60 snaps last season, over six games during the regular season. He wasn't even targeted once in the regular season on 15 pass routes. Now, he did manage to catch three catches for 15 yards in the postseason. He did catch that touchdown. Jimmy Graham has been released. He leaves kind of 60 targets vacated in his wake, so Sternberger will kind of battle with Robert Tanyan as the primary passing catching tight end. But uh, I think when I look at Sternberger, I mean, it's just how often do we see these guys, these young guys, develop instant chemistry with Rodgers and get kind of those trust targets? I think that that's going to be a problem for Sternberger, you know, in year two. Uh, fine player. He's a good prospect, but he's kind of, I think, just a deeper dart uh, for me more than he is for some other people. 
The Austin Hooper breakout occurred in Atlanta last year. He ended up playing 13 games, and he still finished fifth in receptions with 75, six in targets with 97. So he's now in Cleveland. Here comes Hayden Hurst, the 42-year-old Hayden Hurst, heading down to Atlanta here. <laughs> My question is, can he pick up where Hooper led off in one of the more explosive offense here? What do you think of Hurst down in Atlanta? Hurst, I feel pretty good about. And I know the cost has finally started to cut up to him, but I mean, I've, I've been on Hurst from the beginning just based on opportunity. I mean, Atlanta's cleared a league-leading amount of targets off the books in 2019, but I mean, it's not the, just the vacated targets they have, it's the type of vacated targets they have. I mean, they're leaving primarily intermediate level and near the line of scrimmage targets on the table from last year that have left the team. And with the crux of those going to Austin Hooper, I mean, Hayden Hurst is kind of set to have his real first haste of opportunity in the NFL. He's been He's being traded from a team that ran the fewest offensive passing plays in the league in Baltimore to the team that ran the most uh, offensive passing plays in the league from Atlanta a year ago. And Hurst just switching teams is already set to see a major target spike, and is he's only at 62 career targets. Uh, you know, it, it now it, with Atlanta. They haven't added any wide receiver depth in the draft. So that leaves Hurst to contend with the likes of Russell Gage, who had just 9.1 yards for target last year, and the ghost of Laquan Treadwell uh, for intermediate oh, targets geez. in this offense. <laughs> like, those are who he's fighting with for, like, intermediate-level targets. Uh, Atlanta targeted their tight end 17.7% of the time, nine times per game in 2019. Um, they have finished 13th or better in the league in success rate targeting their tight ends in each of the past four seasons. He and Hurst last year ranked first among all tight ends in success rate per target at 67 percent of all tight ends at 25 or more targets on the season he was 12th among all tight ends in yards per outrun playing an eliminate role behind mark andrews so i believe just his usage and the surrounding uh amount of pass catchers atlanta has uh below him outside of julio jones and calvin ridley he's got a clear advantage over those guys so i do believe that he is a guy set up to make up that kind of you know mid tight end one level jump this season so i mean i would give him say like i would say like 50 to 60 percent to odds you know to kind of climb in there and i know his adp's climbed up to be like tight end 11 12 at this point now so you're not getting the squeeze you were earlier in the offseason and the last one is hunter henry with the chargers now listen henry has always been an efficient player when he stayed healthy last year he played 12 games per player profiler had the fourth best production premium then he missed 2018 back in 2017 he had the sixth most efficient production premium so of course tyrod taylor there maybe herbert second half of the year or later in the year Hunter Henry, always been a producer, but struggles to stay healthy and now no Phillip Rivers. Where are you on him? I mean, he just goes in a pocket where I'm just not not really getting him a lot in drafts. I mean, he has shown us he can be a top fantasy option. I mean, he's been the tight end 10 and the tight end 8 in points per game over the past two seasons he's played. Uh, he's finished as a top 10 tight end yards per target in all three of his seasons play. The downside is like you kind of hit upon, this guy's missed 23 career games in four years. Uh, now we add issues, the loss of Phillip Rivers, they transition to Tyrod Taylor and inevitably Justin Herbert this season as their quarterback. That kind of lowers his ceiling and floor uh, a little bit. You know, you look at guys that have forced to play with rookie quarterbacks, uh, they just don't really perform. I mean, they, they don't float top, top, 12 tight ends very often and I kind of wrote this a little bit about a thing for the potential breakout for Mike Gusecki on the site as well that kind of gets in his way uh so I mean 
we've there have been 75 different first year quarterbacks that have started five or more games as a rookie since 2001 uh just seven wide receivers attached to those 75 quarterbacks have produced wide receiver one scoring seasons attached to those passers just 22 have had wide receiver two or better seasons at tight end just 12 tight ends have produced tight end one level seasons attached to those quarterbacks um 43 of those were with first round quarterbacks uh of those 75 in that sample and of those 43 there were just six wide receiver one seasons and 13 wide receiver two seasons just eight tight end one scoring seasons so i mean i like henry the player a lot i don't love the situation and then we're also not factoring in even getting into the, under the hood of what philip rivers and the change over to tyrod taylor does signal for the type of offense the chargers want to be i mean when you look at anthony lynn's you know coaching tree you know where he came from before he was the coach of the chargers this is all his offenses were low volume run first offenses this is a team that invested into a right guard and trey turner in a trade a right tackle uh, in brian bulaga they signed a defensive tackle they signed a cornerback they signed a, a a tackle first linebacker like this is a team by all counts is trying to signal that they want to win through defense and you know in ball control and not have the turnovers that they had a year ago uh so i just think the passing volume is going to be severely lowered and then i said justin herbert's going to play at some point this year i know that we want to hang on to the idea that tyrod taylor can be a streamer and he is when when he is the quarterback he is he's going to be a streamer but we have to prepare for him not to play the full season for the chargers rich where are you on tampa bay it's sort of my betting aspect that i can't get out of my head when the line begs you be careful certainly on social media and the public people are saying here he comes greatest quarterback ever tom brady future hall of famer switches teams goes to tampa bay gonna have the best wide receiver duo probably he's ever had maybe with moss maybe one year they had a comparable one but with evans and godwin they have resources arians likes to throw the ball he's in a division where they're gonna have to score points i just think it's too easy i I think there's gonna be some bumps in the road offensive line of course he's immobile what are you thinking for the fantasy outlook with Tampa Bay's players here? I'm just curious. And, and full disclosure, I am a Ronald Jones truther. I, I think he can actually be used. I, you know, I know there's a disconnect between what the coaches think and the fantasy people think, but he did have chances last year. But overall, what are you thinking about Tampa Bay? Do you think this is just going to be the fantasy lottery point explosion that everyone thinks it's going to be? I mean, really, un- we're in real uncharted territory here. We've got a 43-year-old quarterback changing teams. Uh, just one quarterback age 43 or older in NFL history has ever attempted more- 100 passes in an NFL season, and that came in 2007. <laughs> and Vinny Testaverde only threw 172 times that year. So we're just un- uncharted territory with Brady. We don't now listen. We know Father Time is inevitably undefeated, and Brady is coming off a season where he had his lowest yards per attempt in a season since 2002, while his touchdown rate was an all-time low. Uh, he's definitely the most decorated you know quarterback in our game and i still think that brady hits the desired threshold of acumen to make you know all levels of nfl throws um but i just don't think it's we're gonna say like we just can't elevate a four or three year old quarterback up to back saying like he's a top you know locked in qb1 either especially a guy that's a mobile and doesn't run and a guy that struggled with pressure last year his you know his completion his completion percentage yards per attempt difference under pressure versus a clean pocket uh were the were the worst in the nfl even worse than mitchell trubisky's uh so that's you know kind of a problem if the offensive line's a problem now i mean we don't know if it will be, but I also think that they're going to be, this is a team that's definitely going to have a conversion as well. They're going to be more ball control as well. I mean, Tampa Bay had a league high 187 offensive possessions last year, uh, just under 12 per game. Uh, they were fourth in the NFL in plays per game uh, due to all those extra possessions that they were giving away, <laughs> you know, all the turnovers that they had. Tampa Bay trailed for 49% of their offensive snaps last season. Uh, that was 18th in the league. Uh, they had a 69.9% pass rate on those plays, which is the sixth 
highest in the league. But if you look at early in the season, um, when the defense was getting after the quarterback, uh, they played a lot of slugfest early, those opening couple weeks of the season. And their secondary musical chairs they ran through all season got kind of sorted out to the end of the season. So you give Brady uh, attachment to a good defensive run that can, that can pressure the quarterback. Uh, they're not going to turn the ball over as much because Brady's just not going to turn the ball over as much as Jameis Winston did. Uh, you know, you get those possessions reduced. You get those offensive plays reduced. Um, they, they can just control some games a little bit more. So I think that we'll see that kind of just naturally have some recoil. He does have the weaponry, like you said. Uh, I think that he's he's good for those guys. I know that those guys benefited from prime play with some reckless quarterback play. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick has shown any, everywhere he goes, man, he's good for any, – any, he can unlock a lot of guys. Oh, he unlocked Devontae Parker. Oh, my yes. <laughs> yeah, he's going to give his guy chances. Um He's going to give his guys chances. Brady's really not going to do that. And, I mean, I think that was a big disconnect for Brady and a lot of the guys the Patriots had last last uh, season is because those guys just can't get open. And Brady, you know, struggles with guys that, you know, can't inherently get open. That's why you've seen that he can only throw to Julian Edelman and James White. You know, and a guy like Nikhil Harry even struggled late in the season because you got to be able to get open uh, for Tom Brady to take advantage of you. And he's got some guys that can get open here. Um and you know, bringing it home for Ronald Jones, I guess too. Is we just we just need to see the coach, you know, the coaching staff invest to him. He was good. I mean, he jumped up to 203 touches last year, 5.1 yards per touch after just an anemic, you know, rookie season. Uh, but this is a team that still gave Peyton Barber 170 touches to carve into that workload. And Peyton Barber was a bottom five running back in terms of success rate per offensive touch uh, on the NFL level, not a fantasy efficiency level on the actual NFL level. Like there, his plays that he was getting were unsuccessful, and they still gave him. In 170 plays, uh, which kind of goes to show you what the staff kind of, you know, still has some, some hangups about turning the, the keys totally over to uh, old Ron, Ron John there. But, you know, Tampa Bay running backs had 15 total touchdowns last year. That's that's a good, like, that's yep. not something I'm saying is sticky and we're going to sink our teeth into, but they had 15 total touchdowns as a group. Uh, so someone could, if someone could just get the bulk of that and, you know, turn those 15 touchdowns and they, someone gets like two thirds of those, they can approach eight to 10. Like that guy's going to be an effective running back because eight eight to 10 touchdowns matter. Totally agree. And that's it. If you can figure it out who it's going to be. And if Jones gets the first crack and actually succeeds, he could have some sneaky value there. People thinking that Brady, of course, Gronkowski coming back, but I agree with everything you said. If you think they're going to be good, then I think you have to take it easy on Brady's numbers because, like you said, 43-year-old person changing teams. But that doesn't mean that in any one week he can't light it up. But I'm holding on, Rich, for Ronald Jones. That's my guy. <laughs> I got an email here from Jared. He basically has a league that has a two-keeper league. So you can keep two. You don't have to. You can keep one or none. So he won the league two years ago, but he suffered the risk of keeping Melvin Gordon last season and didn't do well. As of right now, he's keeping Kamara with his first round pick. The other players on his roster, Melvin Gordon again, Lamar Jackson. If not, his second round pick is basically going to be dependent on who's kept. So he's asking, what do you think you should do? Do you have any leagues you're in, Rich, where you have to only keep one or two players? And if so, do you have any suggestions on this type of format? It's interesting. So it's a keeper league, but it's not a traditional keeper league. And of course, you have to weigh the value on keeping a player like Gordon, who is solid, Changing teams, though, new for new quarterback, but has been productive, although last year, of course, with the holdout, probably didn't perform where he should be. So thoughts for Jared here on this two-person potential keeper league. 
Yeah, I've seen some leagues like this before where it counts the first two rounds, but if you don't keep the full guys, you can get in those two rounds as well. And some teams, some teams I assume in this league won't keep anybody and will, you know, just have like their the first overall pick technically. You know what I mean? Like what's left over from the keepers. I don't think either of those guys are strong enough to keep at that point in the second round. Uh, I think I would roll in with the with my second round pick open and hopefully these teams that have to make decisions that have deeper rosters and can only keep two free up some of these guys that are going to be higher on my draft board than Melvin Gordon. I think Melvin Gordon's a solid player. I think he's a solid RB2 to have um, on your team with some upside for more. I think he's definitely going to have the lion's share of that workload. But, I mean, Philip Lindsay is a guy that's going to command more rushing touches than Austin Eckler did, so he's going to share a little bit more of that uh, that role that he shared, and he'll probably have a little bit bigger of a receiving role because Philip Lindsay has been an objectively bad wide, uh, receiver out of the backfield through two years in the NFL, which is odd because he was a good receiver in college Right, exactly, well. so, yes. I mean, it's, yeah. And we've seen that with Marlon Mack as well, um, and I've seen some people try to you know talk about Marlon Mack getting more targets this year too, but like the targets Marlon Mack has gotten the last two years for the Colts, and this is the same staff, He's been bad with them. So it's like really hard. It's not like one of these situations where he's been efficient on a small amount of targets. Uh, the targets that Oz, or Philip Lindsay has gotten and the opportunities he's gotten have just been really poor. And he's really poor in pass protection as well, um, which really hasn't aided his cause either of getting on the field. And that's why a guy like Royce Freeman played that role over him last year. And the Denver doesn't want anything to do with Royce Freeman seemingly, it seems like right now. Uh, so, I mean, I don't think that either of those guys are strong enough. I would roll in with just the one keeper uh, and, and then upgrade there. And even and worse, if worse comes to worst, you'll just if Melvin Gordon's the best player for you to draft, you just draft Melvin Gordon again. Uh, but I would definitely roll in and not keep those guys. I would just roll in with the one keeper. Superpower time, my friend. You could have one superpower. What's it going to be? Uh, that's hard, man. I just choose one superpower. I think if I had the choice, uh, I would choose uh, for time travel, man. Yeah. I would choose the ability to time travel. I think that's the coolest one. Uh, just for the amount of plethora of opportunities, different experiences you could have uh, being able to time travel. We'd be able to get out of this 2020 uh, year, especially, which just sounds really enticing yeah, right now. Being able to fast forward, uh, being able to fast forward out of this year. Uh, so I think right now that's where I would lean is uh, time travel as my thing of choice right now. Super choice so we'll do a like a biff from back to the future try to steal the sports <laughs> almanac and go back and <laughs> change our life and uh go back with warren and run everything <laughs> yeah absolutely imagine yeah going back and just using it for sports bets not anything actually tangible to enhance life yeah right, exactly do something positive go back to, to 2020 and redo this whole year rich is kenny galladay a true top wide receiver one is he going to get the receptions and targets for that to happen I think the the actual like alpha wide receiver one is shrinking anyways. Uh, so I would say in like this current construct of where top wide receivers are in the NFL, he's definitely in the conversation. I mean, you look at him last year with Matthew Stafford under center. He was the wide receiver 11. He averaged 17.4 PPR points per game. By the same span, Marvin Jones is the wide receiver 14 in overall scoring. Uh, in those games, Galladay caught 35 of 62 targets for 640 yards. He had 18.3 yards for catch and seven touchdowns over that span. Uh, and then over the remainder of the season, Galladay, he still held steady. I mean, he caught 30 of 54 targets. His catch rate was basically the same. He averaged 18.3 yards per catch, uh, and he had four touchdowns. Um, 
So, I mean, he held steady. Uh, the thing is that you, the, what you like about Galladay and his investment in Galladay is not only does he get over like that the, in the triple-digit target range, but the targets he gets are high-cholesterol targets for fantasy points. I mean, it's really hard to fade those types of targets. I feel like we're over, we're just over trying to fit the, the fade to Kenny Galladay here because he's not a guy that gets 140 targets and he has some inefficiency. But if you want to poke holes, I mean, you can. Uh, but he led the NFL with 36 targets on deep throws, throws of 20 more yards downfield. He was uh, tied for second of all wide receivers in end zone targets with 14 last year. His average depth of target is 16.1 yards. That leaves a lot of potential for variance per target. Just 61.9% of his targets last year were catchable. That was 77th out of 86 qualifying wide receivers. And his catchable rate from Matthew Stafford was just 58.1%. Uh, yeah, the, the, the types of targets he gets it increase variance. He doesn't have probably as safe a floor as some of these other guys, but getting that amount of targets that, like I said, are, are highly saturated in fantasy fat, uh, it's hard to get rid of those. I mean, it's hard to just, you know, shove those aside and say, well, this guy's inefficient. Uh, he, he's he, the or he has the pot potential to be inefficient and throw those out the window. He also has the opportunity to be more efficient as well. So, I mean, I look at those types of targets and the targets he gets, and I don't want to run away from those types of targets, even though he may not have as safe as floor as some of the receivers that go around him. All right, taking notes. We stole Konami code, of course. Now I'm stealing high cholesterol targets. <laughs> that, that, that one's going to go for sure. I'm going to put that one on Twitter. Excellent call there. Where is the fantasy value in New England this year? A lot of people, of course, Sony Michelle coming back. The people are talking about Damian Williams. Nikhil Harry could finally get a chance. Quarterback looks like it's going to be Jared Stidham. Could be Cam Newton. What are you seeing? I know it's limited, but you know someone is going to be relevant there. Someone's relevant on every team. Where do you think it is in New England? I mean, I think the, the the top three guys are basically the guys you're gonna you we're gonna swing on and take chances on, and I believe that all three could end up being values where they're being drafted. I mean, Edelman and and White, those guys are non sexy floor plays, but you know they offer what they offer in fantasy and there's value for those guys in best ball and and in redraft i actually counterintuitively to what you know a lot of people approach best ball i mean those guys have more value in best ball to me the james white treat cohen's i want to have those guys in more best ball leagues than i do redraft leagues because in redraft leagues i'll probably will get some wrong weeks on on those guys and, and you when you're at the mercy of game script a little bit you know you don't want to have, have you're gonna have a lot more of a, less of a weekly floor the floor can bottom out whereas in best ball you can take on those floor games and those roster smoothing games and some of the ceiling weeks those guys provide uh whereas you know a lot of people would probably think that those guys aren't great best ball plays i mean i think that they're better best ball plays uh, for those reasons uh but the patriots offense man you go back to this last year it, it was not good i mean even with with tom brady they were 23rd in offensive plays it was even worse as like the season progressed uh, from week 7 to 17 they averaged just 4.9 yards per offensive play that's 25th in the league uh that was the fewest yards per play the patriots have averaged in a season since 2006 brady was not effective so if you're saying well if like stidham can just be like as effective as brady was uh you know maybe no one really tilt, falls off of the cliff here, but I mean, again, it just goes. We just were into those those two guys, and then we're hopeful that Nikhil Harry has a second year breakout. And like I talk about, Stidham might be good for Nikhil Harry because Nikhil Harry was a guy, not a guy that got 
a lot of separation and got open. And when you play with a veteran quarterback that doesn't make mistakes, I mean, he's not going to jam the ball in. Stidham might have some YOLO in him and say, yeah, hey, Nikhil Harry, I need you to make some plays for me because I'm going to miss open throws. So I need my guys to make some plays for me as well. So I'm going to give you a chance to make some plays. That's kind of what you're hoping for. Uh, Stidham only threw four passes last year. One of them was a pick six that got him yanked in, in garbage time, if you remember that in the Jets game. <laughs> um, but, I mean, you look at, I mean, whatever, if anyone takes like preseason and into context, I mean, he was really good in the preseason last year. He averaged 8.1 yards for pass attempt. Um, coming into the league, though, I mean, he was not a really decorated quarterback. He His senior year, he fell off. His last year, uh, he really took a step back. And he entered the NFL 34th percentile in final season yards for pass attempt and completion rate uh, among quarterback prospects since 2000. So we just really don't know what kind of floor and what kind of ceiling Stidham provides. The bar is not high for what Brady provided. But, I mean, I think we're just looking at still, yeah, Edelman White is what we know we're going to get out of those guys and some hope for Nikhil Harry. Uh, and like I said, maybe Stidham is good for Nikhil Harry in that regard. That's completely narrative based and not factual, which is opposite of what you usually get from me. But I mean, Tom Brady's not going to throw to a guy like Nikhil Harry if he's not open. Like, you know, Stidham might not care. Stidham could be Ryan Fitzpatrick. We just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it would be outstanding. Tethered for success here, Rich. Give me your opinion on how much a fantasy player is going to be tied to the teammate. So, for example, I'll start Juju Smith Schuster. I drafted him last year in the Sirius XM League that we do with Jake Seeley. Disaster there at the end of the first round. But how much of Juju's success this year will be tied to whether Ben Roethlisberger can stay upright the whole season? I mean, still absolutely almost all of it. I mean, because the Steelers are rolling in with this this exact same depth chart that they had last year. And it's I can't even believe it's the, probably one of the most egregious things I've seen a team operate in the offseason. One of them, like we we totally figured out that neither of these guys could play Mason Rudolph and Duck Hodges. They're not even NFL baseline caliber. They shouldn't be on a roster. We found out. And not only are they rolling with both these guys, they didn't even add a guy to leapfrog them. The Steelers had the largest gap in passing yards per game from season to the next season in NFL history from 2018 to 2019 last year. Wow. None of these guys can play. None of them can play. And I know Juju dealt with a ton of injuries that also factored into a lot of his you know uh, output from last year but none of these guys can play Rudolph and Hodges they cannot play NFL football and they shouldn't be on a roster let alone the team that found out that they couldn't play at all last year I just think it's one of the most egregious things that they're rolling with the same exact depth chart behind a 38 year old quarter that just had elbow surgery next one Naeem Hines so we talked about this everyone pretty much knows Pat Fitzmaurice talks about this as well when he, when he did our draft kit over at player profiler and Marlon Mack like you said has not been used in the passing game since he's come to Indianapolis. Jonathan Taylor is probably going to take this backfield over for the rushing attempts. Could be at the beginning of the year. But Naeem Hines is the guy that people are talking about because, of course, they're comparing Philip Rivers with Danny Woodhead, Philip Rivers with Austin Eckler. Whoever that receiving back is, is going to be a huge, huge fantasy person here for us that can produce. But my question is, is Hines tethered to Marlon Mack getting traded? You know, when Gurley gets hurt in Atlanta, maybe, who knows? Or can Hines be the guy from the beginning of the year? It's tough. Hines is a tricky guy for me because obviously anytime you have one of these uh, narratives, and Philip Rivers does check the ball down a lot, but he also you know was fortunate to play with Austin Eckler, Danny Woodhead, Darren Sproles, Damian Tomlinson, all guys that are pretty damn good receiving backs. And definitely are not the class that Naheem Hines has shown he's in the first two years of his NFL career, which is arguably in the touches that have gone to Naheem Hines and opportunities have largely been a net negative for the offense. And then I also think a hurdle I have trouble here is that the same coach coaching staff that he's with 
Although they've talked him up this offseason and everyone, this same coaching staff significantly reduced Hines' snap share last year, even in while Marlon Mack, you know, suffered a lot of injuries again through missed seasons. Um, he, you know, he's averages seven yards per catch, 5.2 yards per target. He's kind of turned into like the, the, this, the poor man's Theo Riddick, in a sense, because he offers nothing rushing. Naheem Hines, so far, two through two years, uh, he's not even worth giving a carry to. You might as well just have Philip Rivers run himself than have <laughs> Naheem Hines run. Um, but, I mean, target, he's going to check the ball down. That's what Phil does. I mean, he's looking, he's making a read, he's, and he's going to get the ball out of his hands quick. He doesn't get sacked. That's probably the biggest difference. If you look at time to throw from Jacoby Brissett last year to what Philip Rivers did, even behind a bad offensive line that the Chargers had, like, Phil's going to get rid of the football. Uh, it's not going to be like last year where Jacoby Brissett, a lot of sacks were on him. Uh, but I just have a tough place. I mean, the Hines is – I have no pushback where he goes in drafts. He offers really no downside. Um, but I also uh, struggle to find the upside as well. Boy, I remember that Mike Williams three-touchdown game in Kansas City there a couple of years ago. And that stuck in everyone's head, and I think it's it's still clouding people's memory. Former first-round pick Mike Williams, now Tyrod's there. Is he going to be able to be productive with Tyrod, who is not a guy who likes to necessarily go downfield, or is Justin Herbert really his best player to getting back to that level where he was was a pretty big producer on a weekly basis if you had the right matchup? Mike Williams is someone I'm still very much interested in. I think that, you know, uh, I seen you had like a truth or status question later on the show, and I think that... (laughs) I think that Mike Williams and and uh, Will Fuller are the two guys that qualify for me. And you look at just the types of targets those guys get that we talked about with Kenny Galladay. I understand the baggage that both Mike Williams and Will Fuller have priced into their costs. But, I mean, these guys are just, just stupid cheap for the amount of potential they get when you count for the types of targets they get. Uh, and if you end up getting... 2019 Kenny Galladay type of target volume out of either of these guys, which is definitely in their range of outcomes, especially with Hopkins leaving. Um, and, you know, the Chargers, you know, who knows what could happen with them. I Probably a longer shot for Mike Williams. Uh, but, you know, over the past two seasons, 26.2% of Mike Williams targets have been on throws 20 yards or further downfield. For his career, Tyrod Taylor, 44.4% of his passing touchdowns have come from outside the red zone. Uh, league average is right around 35%. So when Tyrod does throw touchdowns, he usually does hit chunk games. Uh, so, I mean, he is definitely probably good for Mike Williams there. And Mike Williams is definitely oscillated on both ends of the pendulum in terms of touchdown output. And, you know, that's just the way fantasy regression. That's not the way regression is supposed to work in general regression to the mean. But in fantasy football, it really feels like it makes these gigantic you know shifts where Mike Williams goes from 10 touchdowns when he, you know, he should have had more like six. And then last year, he only scores two damn touchdowns, you know. But if you look at the past two seasons, he's had 12 end zone targets and 12 end zone targets, 16 percent of his targets have come in the end zone uh, amongst the highest in the league 11 percent of wolf fuller's t- targets have come you know inside the end zone 30 percent have come on these throws 20 yards or further downfield so i look at these guys and it's like yeah i understand why they're priced there and why some people say well i'm not going down this road again uh but you're getting those guys as wide receiver three wide receiver fours on your roster and they are like I said high cholesterol targets that's what these guys are getting and if you're going to get those guys as your wide receiver three wide receiver four on your roster i mean there's you're pricing out a lot of the downside again and i understand that fuller might only play 10 games and you know mike williams might only have 90 targets and the Chargers might end up having a you know overall sucky offense in the passing game but i mean 
that stuff all is way overly priced in for those two guys for me. Williams and Fuller, I'm all over when best ball. When I see them, I'll even bang it around early because if he's, they somehow play 10 games, Fuller especially, I mean, you're going to get production there. So I agree. Low risk there with the, where they're going and the high reward. Last one I'll ask you here is Tyler Boyd. Now, Tyler Boyd is not an inspiring metric profile workout freak, but he certainly has been incredibly productive with over 160 targets the last two years. I use the Rotoviz Game Splits app, and in the games that A.J. Green has played versus the games he has not played, when he has not played, we're looking at three more PPR fantasy points per game for Boyd. We're looking at over three more targets. We're looking at 16 more receiving yards. So my question is, Boyd, who is a productive guy with A.J. Green back, what are your thoughts here? Are you keeping him at the same level? Are you knocking him down a little bit? Tyler Boyd here with A.J. Green. How are they tethered? I'm keeping him kind of similar to where he was in points per game, but definitely not opportunity based. I know he was a guy that uh, was way under, you know, fantasy points under expectation last year. I mean, he was seventh in overall targets, period. But he was 18th in overall point score. He was 27th in PPR points per game. Um, but while he did underachieve, we're not going to see his type of target dominance probably over the field again. I mean, he had 68 more targets than the next closest Cincinnati Bengal. Only Michael Thomas and DeAndre Hopkins had wider target gaps to the second highest target on their team the main issue for Boyd is that he just doesn't he's the opposite of what we just talked about he doesn't get any of those high cholesterol targets we talked about which I believe is a problem for some expected point models and not to take shots the road of this one but I think it's one that should be more factored in a lot that's why you see a lot of these slot guys always be under fantasy expectation points through the road of his model uh you know just just pushing that there, uh, but uh, you know he. But you look at the so if you look at the past two years, I mean Tyler Boyd has eight total targets in the end zone. That's it. Uh, just ten point two percent of his targets have come on deep targets, well below the league base rate. Uh, that's why he's not getting those. That's why he's not hitting those marks. He's not a guy that you're ever gonna be able to project for high touchdowns or um, you know these targets that can overcome inefficiency like he had last year through quarterback play because. They're all just, you know, these these piddly targets. Uh, so when you have you have bad quarterback play attached to those targets, you're going to have one of these seasons that's way under the expectation rate. Um, but he can be a you know an absolute fantasy factor. I don't want that to hit a point. You know who he is very much like we talked about uh, a guy earlier on the show. He's very Bob Woods. Yes, very um, true. Yes. Very in. I think he's probably a potential arbitrage play on Robert Woods, uh, Jamison Crowder, Christian Kirk. Like all those guys are used in a very similar capacity, and you just go along the lines of target volume. That's how I probably rank those guys. Yeah, Tyler Boyd. Definitely, I don't want that to be. I don't want to come off like I don't like Tyler Boyd. He's not a good player, but I don't believe he has the target margin that he had last year. Now he will get some better targets, quality of targets this year. But until he gets those deep targets and those end zone targets, he's always going to be a guy that kind of you know probably underperforms what models have for him. I always try to turn a a negative into a positive here. So, Rich, what have you learned during the quarantine? Is there a skill? Have you found yourself doing something and learn how to do it? Cooking a meal? I don't know. Evan said taking a power nap. What skill have you refined (laughs) during the quarantine here to try to help yourself? I mean, listen, we have happy hours a lot earlier now. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, definitely drinking, you know. Uh, the, but the, yeah, I mean, you look about when all this happened in March, you know, everyone was trying to run out and get toilet paper. I, I went to the liquor store. <laughs> it was the first place I went to. Uh, and I wasn't alone. Listen, that place is packed. Yes, of uh, course. Of course. And, and if anyone can have, if anyone out there still has access to a Crown Royal Peach, uh, let me know. I will uh, pay double market price for that. I'll definitely go over my bounds. You'll 
you'll get 2020 first round value, uh, 2021 first round value if you got that crown royal peach. But you know what's interesting is that through the quarantine, like not a lot has I've been fortunate, not a lot has really changed for me. Definitely my work schedule, you know, outside of just the kids and my wife being home, uh, because the NFL has just kind of put their heads down so far. So and like nothing's really changed. The draft went off, free agency went off. So like. I've been just working on all the same stuff I've been working on, so I really haven't had much change to like my daily schedule except for like we don't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, Ryan, Ryan McDowell said his wife rolled her eyes when she heard this question. Like, learn, he's just been doing more of what he normally normally right. does. So I've just been doing more fantasy like content. Do had more time to do this stuff, but uh, definitely we have noticed though, especially in summertime now that the days are longer. That like happy hour does start a little earlier. <laughs> okay, high cholesterol targets, Crown Royal. Peach. Okay, next. Uh, redraft lightning round. I want you to tell me which player you prefer in redraft coming up this year. Now, of course, the first one, Debo Samuel is now going to be out, of course, with the broken foot. So he's going to be out for a while. Brandon Ayuk now steps into a pretty prominent role. So I'm curious. Justin Jefferson with no Stefan Diggs in Minnesota. He's got to beat out Ola B.C. Johnson. Or Brandon Ayuk? Who do you like better in redraft this year? This is a close one because, I mean, you hit this one in the head because you've got two offenses that basically want to operate in the same capacity as well. Uh, you know, not high-volume passing games. Uh, I think Ayuk's definitely going to have his opportunity accelerated now at the Depot. Samuel News. Uh, I still just like Jefferson, Justin Jefferson more as a player. I think he's a lot cleaner prospect than Ayuk. Early declare, youngest wide receiver in this class, just checks every box that you want to objectively, can play inside and out. Uh, I just think he's the better player of the two, so I will say him. Uh, even though Ayuk does definitely have a, a, like I said, this 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 extra boost now with the injury to Debo Samuel himself, and just touch a touch on Debo real quick. Uh, I've ranted on this before. I'm never going to be the guy that it operates uh, under injury optimism. I'm not. I don't draft guys that are hurt already yep. in the preseason. Yep. I just don't. I just don't go down that hill. I could be wrong, and you could hit. There's definitely been some value hits in that area, but a lot of people have died on injury optimism hill in fantasy. And if a guy's already hurt in the preseason, um, it's been shown, you know, historically that those guys are more open and injury open for another injury in season. This injury, particularly in itself, has opened itself for more injuries. Uh, depending on the timetable, these guys try to come back. I say if you're still in on the injury discount, that's going to be now available. For for Debo Samuel, your best case scenario is one that you either hope that the season is just delayed through COVID and he doesn't have a chance to get back on the field, or the 49ers just straight up say, we're good enough to put you on PUP and not rush you back. And he misses those first six weeks and hits like that five-month mark of recovery. I believe Rotoviz, Jeff Budoff, you guys have wrote an article over there as well. And I believe that he said, like, you know, it's these guys that try to come back early from this injury that are in uh, a more of a sketchier area. So the 49ers can remove that element from his own hand and just say, we're going to put you on PUP or we'll see you in week eight. Uh, that could help him as well, uh, you know, kind of be there. But I'm never the guy that's drafting injured players already. Totally agree. I was the same way with Le'Veon Bell with the holdout. I don't want any part of holdout, guys. Melvin Gordon, same thing with injuries. I need to see it here. You want to tell me it's a, a slight thing? That's fine. But when you're talking about being out for a few weeks, I don't. I, it's a variable I can't compute with. Feast or famine, guys, here. Brandon Cooks, T.Y. Hilton. When I'm setting my DFS lineups on Sunday, Rich, the only question my wife asks every time is T.Y. Hilton in a dome. She asks the same thing <laughs> every week. Brandon Cooks, T.Y. Hilton. Talk to me about them. Of course, huge upside weeks, but can disappear a lot as well. Give, give me your thoughts. 
I, I actually like both these guys, and the cool thing is their ADP is pretty far apart. You can actually get both these guys on your roster. Uh, I do like Hilton this year, uh, especially for where he goes in drafts. I just think, you know, if you look at his two bunk seasons in the NFL, they're attached to playing with Jacoby Brissett, and he's getting a real quarterback. And the cool thing about T.Y. Hilton is he's not just one of these vertical lid poppers uh, that can only get downfield targets. Like, this is a guy that's played a high, tangible amount of his routes in the slot in the NFL. He can get open. He runs the full route tree and he's getting quarterback that can make anticipatory throws and Phillip Rivers. So I like Hilton to bounce back. I am a little worried about, you know, just the injury history and his career arc. You know, he's playing at age 30 now and missed a lot of time uh, here in recent years. But I do definitely like him for his cost. I think that he definitely bounces back and has wide receiver one potential in his range of outcomes uh, playing with Phillip Rivers. I also just think Brandon Cook's the same thing that we talked about. Will I just think that those guys are too cheap. Uh, the Houston guys. I mean, I think they're going to have a lot more negative game script. If you look at Deshaun Watson's uh, historical, you know, output when the when he's in trail mode, he's one of these QB outliers. He's actually better. Uh, whereas not, you know, a lot of people want to chase the negative game script for quarterbacks. It's actually proven to be worse. But Deshaun Watson is one of these guys that actually is lights out better when they're chasing game script. And we saw that even in the playoffs last year when they fell behind against the Bills. Yep. Even a good defense. Mm-hmm. He was excellent in the second half of that game. Um, so, I mean, I like the – I just think Fuller and Cooks are too cheap for what they offer and what we've seen from fantasy ceiling from both. I, I've been I've been grabbing both those guys up. Uh, so, I mean, I, I have Hilton ranked higher. I think it's just like his quality of play is, is, is a lot easier to bank on. But uh, I've actually been drafting both these guys. The next one is like the old less filling tastes great Miller Lite commercial. I've asked it to everyone. I put it on Twitter. It's always 50-50. Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson, who do you like better this year? I like Fant's path to targets a little bit more. Now, he was bad with Drew Locke when Drew Locke played. Everyone was bad when Drew Locke played for the QB wins crowd. I know Drew Locke was 4-1, but he was bad for everyone in fantasy. <laughs> uh, Corlin Sutton was higher than wide receiver 38 in just one of those games. Fant just had 9% of the team targets uh, in the five games that Locke played. But I like his path to targets a little bit more. I mean, they're just they did add guys. I mean, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, Albert O, probably better than what they finished the season with in Deshaun Hamill and uh, Tim Patrick, uh, but those guys are also unproven as well, so we don't know. So we're getting Fant, you know, he led the NFL in yards after the catch for tight ends uh, per reception, so he's got a little bit of that juice. Hawkinson still has to contend with Marvin Jones and Gallaty, who are both good end zone targets uh, and both good downfield targets as well. I like them both, uh, but I get edged to Fant uh, a little bit more just for his path to, to usage. Yeah, keep an eye on Jeff Driscoll, folks. I'm not sold on Drew Locke starting 16 games here, so I know Jeff Driscoll is what it is. Another team that I can't believe they're rolling in with the backup situation the way it is. Right. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I get it, but there's a lot of weapons there. So if Drew Locke can't do it, Jeff Driscoll, could he be fantasy relevant in, in weeks wins. 10 to 12? QB wins are a hell of a drug. And Drew Locke went 4-1, and one, but you look at what Drew Locke did. And I, like, listen, I will say, I will say, like, they had Tim Patrick and they had Deshaun Hamilton as guys outside of Sutton and Fant. And now they're really Really, we're going to really see how good Drew Locke is because they've loaded loaded it up for him. But QB wins are a hell of a drug, man. So true. <laughs> and the last one here, Darius Slayton, Christian Kirk. So Slayton had a big season last year. He's a fast receiver there with Daniel Jones in New York. Christian Kirk, of course, in a great offense. Didn't pop Rich the way I thought he would last year. Now, of course, they, they've added DeAndre Hopkins. So who do you like better here for the 2020 season? 
This is a hard one, too. I still edge Kirk a little bit here. I mean, it's still the most wide receiver-centric offense in the NFL. Uh, I don't think the target value is going to be or, or is going to really drop that much of DeAndre Hopkins for him, just because I think that we're going to see them run more air raid than they moved away from in the back half of the season as Cliff Kingsbury adjusted to the personnel he had at his disposal, and even a guy like Kirk got hurt midway through the season as well, and they had to reduce it that way as well. Slayton kind of feels a little bit like this year's Dante Pettis to me. Uh, his, I mean, he's his OTD, his projected uh, expected touchdowns were right around four. This guy only had five end zone targets, just massively outkicked his touchdown total. And when all the Giants were on the field, or as much much as they could be on the field, when he played with Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate, he was way behind those guys in targets. Uh, and then you factor in they didn't even have Evan Ingram for a lot of those games. Uh, it's, I mean, he's, he's, I have no problem with where Slayton goes. If you're, uh, uh, I don't want that to be a pushback and say like, Hey, don't draft Darius Slayton. He, where those guys, go, where those guys go. I mean, I don't really have any pushbacks on uh, anybody's like eighth round or, or beyond draft pick, no matter who the hell he is. It doesn't matter to me. Those guys, the hit rate for those guys, it's all about the same. Uh, yep. but I just like Kirk has a little more pedigree as a prospect. Uh, I think he's going to have more targets than Slayton. Um, so just kind of give him a little bit edge there. Give me that late round running back or wide receiver lottery ticket that you think can pay off? You know, the guy that you're taking who's a rookie, maybe people in seasonal leagues will take him with the last couple picks and you say, you know what, there's a path here. People aren't seeing it, but we could look in the second half of the year and this guy could really be producing. Yeah, second half of the year is where you want to look for these definitely rookie wide receivers. And, you know, we saw with A.J. Brown. And don't look at D.K. Metcalf's second half of the year, too, yep. uh, compared to his front half. These guys typically get going. None of these guys hit the ground running is what I'm looking for to say. So I think that the top guy I would look for from a rookie wide receiver stance, and like I said, these are guys you don't want to invest draft capital in. Come in and grab these guys during the season from after they're released from a lot of these rosters. But Jalen Ragor would probably be my wide receiver that I would yep. say as the season gets going. Now, I think the season he's going to start behind Deshaun Jackson. He plays Deshaun Jackson's position, but I think that, you know, as he gets his feet wet, he can either move away from that position or, you know, listen, Deshaun Jackson's played one full season the past seven years uh, and, you know, is way <laughs> past the career age arc, so he could be out of the picture by then as well. So I looked, Jalen Ragor's kind of the exciting guy there uh, that I believe is like a path to targets. Uh, you know, initially he has some pa- a path to targets probably too. I think it's a lower, lot lower than people believe his initial out of the box you know target rate but i think as the season goes on uh he's a guy that'll grow and then running backs uh i think because you're looking for like guys that maybe don't have like an initial full-time role or we don't know i mean zach moss the guy that kind of sticks out just because he's yeah. he's probably gonna have the goal line carries already out of the box uh well the goal line carries josh allen shares that is uh yes <laughs> uh, yep. with him but i actually believe i think uh Zach Moss is a better receiver than Devin Singletary already. I think he's already a better receiver. Wow. Uh, wow. Devin Singletary was an awful receiver last year, too. Uh, uh, the opportunities he got. Uh, he had some long screens that he turned into some big gains, but I think as just an all-around wide receiver, Zach Moss is, a, is a re- out of the backfield. Moss is already better, and he could overtake him in that role as well. Uh, so, I mean, he, I think he's a problem. I do like Antonio Gibson a lot, too. I just don't know if Antonio Gibson's going to run into the problem where he's a master of none. You know, for fantasy, yeah. I think that that's like kind of the biggest obstacle. Um, but I think Antonio Gibson is just—he's one of these guys that it's the amount of efficiency per target, per target and touch he had, is very exciting. And you look at his physique—you know, he, he's built like Jonathan Taylor, can a little bit. I mean, I've seen some people really typing up Stephen Sims because of what he did at the end of the last season. But I mean, Antonio Gibson is an absolute problem for Stephen Sims. He does everything Stephen Sims does, and arguably better, even in the return game. So I mean. 
I wouldn't be surprised if you know Gibson just takes a lot of the bulk of what Sims did uh, at the end of last season. Um, so, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Listen, Washington, if Darius Geis gets hurt again, it's Peterson, Antonio Gibson, Bryce Love. Gibson at 6 feet, 228, 439 speed, and he can catch the ball. Fantastic. That is a problem. That's a great call. This is a guy who second half of the year, I think Rich could actually somehow be starting for them. It's it's possible. It's in his range of outcomes. Well, the, the cool thing about Gibson for fantasy is he had his position changed. Because if he was a wide receiver, eligibility only for fantasy, that was going to be a problem for him. It probably with the way he used. It's just, remember the year like the Browns like threatened to move Duke Johnson to the slot and everyone was like, oh, this would be good for him. You'd rather have those points at running back than wide receiver. You can find a ton of guys yeah. that can produce a floor at a wide receiver three that Duke Johnson would have produced. You want those points at running back. Uh, it yep. helps him that his that his position got changed on the websites already. So it definitely helps Gibson a lot, and it definitely moved me way more into him. Rich, vacation spot. You have a choice. You're going camping in Yellowstone there in the cool air with the wolves in the background, or you want a 100-degree sun beating down on you on a beach in the Caribbean. What's your choice? I want neither of those things, man. you got to get me in the middle. <laughs> I, I am not an outdoorsman on any level. I fully tell you that but i mean being out in 100 degree heat is that doesn't sound like luxury either so i mean listen send me to denver or just a good place with good, yeah. good food and drinks uh you know send me to, to vegas where i can gamble and my ultimate favorite spot in the states is that northeast coast man uh and yeah. you know the cape martha's vineyard anywhere up there good food it, it's the nights are like 70 to 80 it's perfect yep. weather i can eat to my heart's delight uh just a little expensive there but i mean i, I love that area man it looks beautiful that time of year it's, that's what I want. I mean, I don't want. I want the middle ground. I don't want the that. I don't want to be outside, outdoorsy, and I don't want to be in that, that heat either. Great call, great call there. <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know. I want to know. You touched on this before. Maybe it's Mike Williams. Who are you a loyal truther for? I'm still with D.D. Westbrook. I don't know why. Randall Cobb, of course. Evan said Rex Burkhead. Sean mentioned maybe Marquise Lee now with New England. Royce Freeman, of course, has a chance. Ryan McDowell talked about Tariq Cohen. Uh, Rich Rebar, truther status. Where are you, Rich? Who you got? Oh, I hit on Will Fuller. I mean, it's just the allure, just of what he does, what he and when he plays, and ever going back to Notre Dame. I mean, this guy creates his own. He creates his own touchdowns. I love guys that do that. I mean, he's good after the catch. Uh, just, just a big time producer when he actually is healthy and plays. And like I said, I understand that we'll probably never get a full season out of him at any point. And he's always going to be on these guys and these injury predictors. That's just high risk and high. You know, people will stay away from him. But uh, man, this guy can play. Man, that's you know. And even for some of the negatives he has, I mean, he'll put some balls down too. Uh, doesn't have a big, big catch radius, but uh, he's electric. And listen, he's walking into the the best opportunity he's had coming into any season. So I mean, I feel like people just want to fade him to fade him at this point. And man, it's not going to be me. Hundred percent, I agree with you on Will Fuller, Rich. This has been amazing, man. I mean, we can go on for hours here. One more, and then I'll get you out of here. I need the bold prediction. I need the one you're going to look back on and say, you know, I think I was right on that. Give me your bold prediction for fantasy football this year: QB, wide receiver, running back, anything. What do you think's going to happen? That's sort of a little out there, but it's it's an outlier, but it's still possible this season. My boldest call is that. We're going to play 16 games. All these teams are going to play 16 games. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. That's my boldest call. That's all I got. Sir, I'm, I'm with you, man. If we get 16 games, we'll be thrilled. We need sports back in the worst way here. Keep everybody healthy. 
Rich Rebar from Sharp Football Analysis. Amazing, amazing guy. So much information, arguments, stats to back it up. We can talk all day. Follow him on Twitter at Lord Reeves over there. He's got the podcast going. He's got everything going at Sharp Football Analysis. Fantastic job. Rich, you are the man, my friend. And I guess we'll be doing the, uh, the Jake Seeley uh, Serious League <laughs> virtually in August, but looking forward to it, man. Thanks so much for coming on. Absolutely. I, you're a great guy. I got to meet in person last year. Anytime you guys want to extend a branch, I'm Team Rotovis for life. So anytime you guys want to reach out, I'll help you guys any way I can. You, you got it, man. The Confucius of fantasy football. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes under the Fantasy Football Mailbag, a Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear what you think, so follow us on Twitter at rotovizradio and at randallrant. Make sure you tell a friend, and don't forget to sign up for a 10% discount on our podcast homepage, rotovizcom forward slash podcast. It's a no-brainer, folks. Thanks for tuning in.